You're listening to the Rock and Roll Heaven Podcast with LD and TJ. Can you dig that, baby? <laughs> Hey guys, welcome to Rock and Roll Heaven, the podcast where we talk about the lives, careers, and deaths of famous musicians. I am your host, LD. Along with me for the ride, as always, is TJ. Oh, hey. TJ, how's it going? It's good. Did you have a good fourth? I, since we're recording this and well, time traveling, <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I'm, you know what? Stranger Things comes out on the 4th of July, or came out on the 4th of July, and so I can only imagine that me and Will probably just stayed at home, did DoorDash or Postmates, and um, watched Stranger Things. Fair enough. But uh, some jerk was shooting off fireworks outside last night. Like, Already? Big, like, I'm not kidding. They shot off two of them, like an hour and a half between, and the cats were totally fine. But... You know, I hope that everybody's pet was okay for the 4th of July because I know that's like a super stressful time. And I did see on an online article that people can volunteer to stay with pets during firework displays. Yeah, I saw that too, like at local shelters and rescues and stuff where you yeah. just go and you can like read to them or just hang out with them and just to try to help keep them calm. I know Iris had a huge issue with fireworks like she would just go insane and it killed me that they would keep just keep going until I know all hours of the night and she'd finally calm down and then pop 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 here we go again yeah so my my poor little girl did not care for them I'm there are a lot of animals out there that don't just because they don't understand what's going on it's just a lot of loud noises yeah and also people don't take into account like PTSD like people that suffer yep. from PTSD and so, uh, you know, we hope that you guys did have a fun and safe 4th of July. And I actually know that when this episode drops, I'll actually be over at my buddy Jim's. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> having a little 4th of July, post 4th of July party, because a lot of people actually have to work on Friday here. Oh, really? Yeah, not not me and you. Yeah, we're but, lucky. I mean, yeah. that is true. There's a lot of people that have to work not only on the Friday, but also on the 4th, because a lot of like part-time jobs and stuff like that, those businesses, they stay open. So yeah. so that we can have conveniences and whatnot. Um, yeah. So be extra nice if you're out. If you, I hope you were extra nice if you were out yep. shopping or whatever, what have you. Protect our pets, our vets, and our servers. Yeah. So. Two things on the top of the show. We got an amazing five-star review on iTunes, and we really appreciate it. So, Summer, thank you so much. For that, if you guys could head over to iTunes and please leave us a ratings and review, it helps us out. It helps the show out. It helps us get better, and uh, you know it's it's just a really good thing for the show. And the other thing is, TJ, I know I posted it on our Facebook page, so maybe you saw it, but I got really excited because I added a new thing on my birthday list. Oh yeah, Buddy Holly and Roy Orbison are. Doing a concert. Shut up. Yeah. <laughs> they're, okay. they're doing a concert and it's through this company that does holographic. I was gonna say how concerts. are they I was gonna say, how are they doing this? Yeah, but <laughs> they're it, they're both dead. It's the day before my birthday. Oh fun. Like, the concert is the day before my birthday, and tickets are like relatively reasonable. They're like fifty to seventy five dollars. And 
you can see Buddy Holly and Roy Orbison in concert. And I'm like, shut up and take my money. Well, I would really hope that they were not that expensive because, I mean, it is holograms. holograms if yeah. They're not the real people. Yeah. But still, I mean, you're paying for A, the experience well, and yeah. B, like all the people that work on the shows and and make it happen so and i've seen stills from the shows and they look amazing maybe it's just me because chip was watching black mirror yesterday and it was the episode (laughs) with um miley cyrus playing don't 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 tell me anything yeah i'm not no spoilers but like yeah there's like a hologram thing and it freaked me out (laughs) like so now i'm (laughs) now i'm weirded out by the idea of holograms performing (laughs) fair enough well let's talk about somebody who isn't a hologram yet we're going to be starting on part two of the man in black johnny cash and i'm excited for what new stories you have in store for me well i actually pulled one that wasn't in my research originally because after we were done recording last week you had asked me about the famous photo of Johnny Cash flipping the bird that has now become like t-shirts and all this stuff. Posters. Posters. Yeah. You know. And so I did look it up really quick. Um, I found an article on NME. And the story behind this is the picture was actually taken at his 1969 San Quentin performance. Um, so the, the picture was taken by photographer Jim Marshall. And so when he was asked about that photo, Marshall told the San Francisco art exchange quote, I said, John, let's do a shot for the warden. And then cash basically flipped the camera, the bird. (laughs) (laughs) So Jim Marshall has gone on to add that the the photo is probably the most ripped off photo in the history of the world, which I believe that I it's everywhere that 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 photo is I can't I honestly can't like in the music industry think of many more iconic photos like there is a photo that I find iconic, which is and my husband agrees it's Frank Sinatra getting out of a helicopter with a cigarette in one hand and a scotch in the other. Nice. And he's got like the full suit on. It's just that for me is like mm, iconic. <laughs> that That's my, that is like the, can I get that on a t-shirt please shirt. And then Freddie Mercury leaning all the way back at Wembley Stadium, 1986. I don't know and that I've seen that one. It's, it's almost the cover of Bohemian Rhapsody. Oh, okay. I think... In the original photo, he's actually leaning back a little bit more than Rami Malek is, but that's because I'm obsessive compulsive and uh, I love <laughs> Queen. So there you go. But like, yeah, that's for Johnny Cash. That is, that's the photo you think of when you think of Johnny Cash. It's true. We can't put it on our Instagram and our Facebook and all that, guys. Like again, family friendly show. Family friendly, and we don't want to rip off Jim Marshall. Yeah. So that was that story. Really quickly, like off topic kind of thing, because I know you'd asked me at the end of the last show. So I wanted to make sure that I had that for you today. Thank you. I, I do. I do love that story where he's just like, oh, this is for the warden. Oh, OK. Exactly. Because I didn't go into it, but I know he had had some meetings with Nixon on prison reform as well. 
like after doing all those prison shows. So, you know, yeah, I know that you're going to be jumping into Nixon in just a second. But can I say something about Nixon? He was oddly starstruck. Yes. I mean, he I feel like he used his presidency to be a criminal and to meet rock stars. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I don't think you're altogether wrong. You know, I get it. He tried. But maybe we'll just do a short set on all of the celebrities that Nixon met. That'd be fun. That might be a fun one. That'd be fun. <laughs> so jump into uh, Mr. Johnny. Yeah. So here we go, guys. Uh, if you recall last time in the last episode, we finished off um, with the Johnny Cash show. And I mentioned that in this kind of time frame of the late 60s, early 70s, there's a lot of things going on all at once. So we do, I do jump a little bit, but this is kind of where it starts getting back to chronological. And I mentioned, another thing that I mentioned was the Netflix documentary series called Remastered. There is one called Tricky Dick and the Man in Black. And so this next section kind of came a lot from that because I'm going to talk about now Johnny Cash's White House performance for and with Nixon. So here we go. So jumping in with Johnny and Nixon. So Johnny Cash was friendly with every U.S. president, starting with Richard Nixon. He was closest, though, sidebar, closest to Jimmy Carter, with whom he became very close friends and who was a distant cousin of Johnny's wife, June Carter Cash. So that's just a little fun fact for you. Cash had been raised a conservative and was a very patriotic person, having enlisted in the Air Force and done his duty. He loved this country. However, the 60s and 70s saw a lot of turmoil, not just abroad, but with the American people greatly polarized. The 70s seemed like just the worst decade. Yeah. I Late mean, like, 60s, early 70s were just terrible. Because we, we look back on the 60s with so much fondness, like amazing clothes amazing music great festivals you know noteworthy political things happened i mean like you know the the assassination of john kennedy but he was in my opinion a great president i didn't live through his administration so i only know what other people say of course but you move into the 70s and will said that it was you can tell how good a decade is by its clothes (laughs) okay And he loves the 1960s suit cuts. And he said in the 70s, it's just like people gave up. (laughs) Because like it was tweed and scratchy wool and polyester. And it just went from like the 60s being cotton and natural and clean and beautiful to this just scratchy, irritated, ugly colors. (laughs) Well, it just, I mean... There was a lot of turmoil well, at that time. You and had the Iran-Contra scandal. Mm-hmm. You had uh, gas shortages. You had hostage situations. Vietnam. You had Vietnam. You had the, the, the sparkings of the Cold War. You, I mean, it was like the Cold War started heating up. And it just seemed like it seemed like the 70s were, the for us, the darkest decade. Because then you move into the 80s where you have, like, wild colors crazy music like how you're just equating everything to clothes (laughs) (laughs) well we're a music podcast so i can't be like 
the 70s were terrible. No, we had amazing bands in the 70s. Oh, yeah. The clothes just sucked out loud, though. And then you had disco. <laughs> so despite LD's attempts to like not talk politics, we are going to talk politics for a second <laughs> because it's relevant to the story. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's not all about music and clothes, LD. I These know. are some troubling times and Johnny Cash had a part in them. But also like, and like another major thing that happened in the 70s was the attack on the Olympic Village in Munich. Right. So, I mean, we're we're moving into a dark political time and it is a scary time. Like it is a very the 70s is a very dark decade. So, yeah. So coming back to this, I mean, yeah, like I said, we're late 60s, early 70s. The country is in turmoil. We've got Vietnam being fought and you have all this mess. And in the middle of this, you have Johnny Cash who's not particularly political. He doesn't try to be particularly political. But Johnny gravitated towards empathy for his fellow man through all of this and tried to remain as neutral as possible, but was not afraid to speak his piece. When asked about whether or not he had political leanings, Johnny responded, no, not all that much. But if somebody says I'm not my brother's keeper, he's wrong because he is. He is his brother's keeper. And this, I can kind of assume in context, this is in the broader sense of the of the term of people taking care of each other, your, quote, brothers, if you will. With protesters calling for Nixon's impeachment surrounding the Vietnam War, Nixon wanted to identify with Middle America, and Johnny Cash was as Middle America as you could get. So Nixon invited Cash to come and sing at the White House for the first time in 1970. As part of their Southern plan... Reportedly, the government once asked H.R. Haldeman, which is the White House chief of staff at the time, to neutralize Johnny Cash politically from the memo, quote, at the Johnny Cash evening at the White House, it will be most helpful if privately the president can neutralize Johnny Cash so that he does not campaign for Tex Ritter, who was running for Senate against the favored GOP nominee, Bill Brock at the time. It would also be helpful if he could come into Tennessee after the primary. So just a light ask. Just a light ask. Basically, Cash was friends with Tex Ritter because Tex Ritter was an old country singer. And they had their plan. They were trying to get their people in through the South. And they were kind of using Johnny as a pawn to do this, of trying to associate themselves with Johnny Cash, who was this big star they associated country music with middle America and that's how they get to them. Like Nixon even played at the Grand Ole Opry before like they, they wanted those votes and they were basically wanted to use Johnny cash to get them. Here's the problem. <laughs> Nixon's office requested that he play Okie from Muskogee a satirical Merle Haggard song about people who despised youthful drug users and war protesters. Welfare Cadillac. Now, LD, don't get don't get too cranky because this song is actually quite terrible and <laughs> it caused a huge, huge, huge backlash with the American people when they found out 
that the president wanted him to sing Welfare Cadillac. The song is a Guy Drake song, which basically denies the integrity of welfare recipients by kind of these satirical lyrics of like, oh, well, I don't have this and I don't have that. And, you know, we don't have this. But every year I buy myself a new brand new Cadillac with my welfare check is essentially what the song is. And it's disgusting. You know what? Is the uh, the songwriter already dead? Most likely. I don't know if Guy Drake wrote the song or if he just performed it, but... I will say that there is a very interesting podcast. I'll, I'll take this time to plug a podcast instead. Called Time Suck with a comedian named Dan Cummings. And he actually has a great episode that just came out maybe two or three weeks ago about the welfare issue and the homeless issue in America today. So instead of me getting triggered and screaming nonsensical words for the next five minutes, which you know I'm absolutely capable of, I will suggest to our listeners to go listen to that podcast after you're done with this because it is very informative. Also, that guy can kiss my butt. (laughs) Well, this was a Nixon request that Johnny Cash learn and sing this song. The third song that was requested was A Boy Named Sue, which, of course, actually was a Cash song. I think my biggest issue... Like, I mean, the political implications are obvious in the choices made, but also he didn't actually, he only picked one Johnny Cash song. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that's, that's like, oh, let's have uh, Steven Tyler come and sing, but I'd like to have him sing uh, the Edmund Fitzgerald by Gordon Lightfoot. Uh, Let's have him sing America the Beautiful and then... Maybe he could sing Janie's Got a Gun. Maybe. Maybe. No way. Janie's Got a Gun. That's too political. No way, man. <laughs> anyway. So, you know, as I was kind of saying, you it's fairly obvious. These are all songs that affiliated country music with the president's cause at the time. And Nixon's, as I kind of mentioned, I kind of alluded to this, Nixon's request for these songs was revealed in a press release and outrage and backlash followed surrounding the request for Welfare Cadillac in particular. So, you know, I probably would have been a little outraged at that myself if I had been around at that point. Yikes. It should be noted, kind of a sidebar, that Nixon did not solely want to use Johnny as his Southern plan, but that he actually did identify and admire Cash. Uh, Nixon had his own struggles in childhood with an abusive father, working on a struggling family farm, and having lost two of his brothers to tuberculosis. So he kind of felt a kinship with Johnny Cash. And so, you know, what didn't occur to him that maybe Johnny would have some different ideas of what was appropriate. What Nixon and staff were not aware of, what Nixon and staff were not aware of was that Cash was not ignorant to what was going on in the world. They thought they're just, oh, they're going to pick the most popular country singer. And of course he'll be on our side because these are a lot of the things that line up with that, with the Southern states. And at this time, but obviously he's not taking into account what Johnny has done up to this point. No, not at which all. Which has been to be an 
advocate for the voiceless, for prisoners, for the Native Americans. It's you're not paying attention to the social cues that the artist has given you. You're being kind of tone deaf at this point. Well, that's just it. They're relying on the fact that Johnny Cash is not paying attention to what else is going on when really they haven't been paying attention to what he's been doing. So I just find that amusing, I guess, for lack of a better word. So while Johnny Cash did announce support for the president and his effort to, quote, bring just and lasting peace in an episode of the Johnny Cash show, he also advocated, as you said, for Native American rights. And he and June went to Vietnam to perform for the troops just a couple months before he was set to perform at the White House. This visit it stirred a lot of conflicting emotions for Johnny Cash, who determined that he would use his voice to make a difference. Because seeing all this and hearing hearing the, the fights at night, and I mean, it really just affected him in a very different way. So he went and served with the Air Force, and he felt that this was your duty, was to go and serve your country and all this stuff. But what was going on in Vietnam was a real wake-up call for him and watching people dying and people afraid for their lives and watching their brothers fall. And it really affected him in a very, very different way. So he he wanted to use his celebrity and his voice to make a difference. And again, since we're being political, I will take this time to say that I will always stand by our vets. If you have served our country, you you have deserved my highest respect and my highest honor. This country would not be what it is without you and without your service. That being said, I am against, well, I mean, it doesn't matter anymore, but I, if I had been alive at that time, I probably would have protested the Vietnam War. I would have not protested our veterans or the men serving, but I definitely would have, I would have protested the politics of it. Well, that was it was similar after 9-11. There was similar protests and stuff. It's like you're not protesting the the men and the servicemen and women. You're protesting the action. Yeah. And again, not to spill on and on. So I'll just say this again. Time Suck podcast with Dan Cummings has a an amazing series on the Vietnam War. So if you're more interested in finding out like what actually happened, the timeline of it, how people were trying to dodge the draft, military moves, you know, all that kind of stuff. He lays it out really well. So I, I, I'm a big Time Suck podcast fan. So if you have the time to go check that out, absolutely. It's, it's a very good way to kind of abridge, educate yourself on, on that war. Yeah. So all that being said, uh, obviously, Cash did not agree with the selections that he was asked to perform. And again, very conflicted on this of whether or not he should do as he was asked by his president or if he should be the rebel that the respectful this time respectful rebel that he's always been and speak his piece on this. So he's not going to kick the footlights out at the White House? Uh, No, not this time. Uh, He ultimately did decline to play the first two songs requested and instead selected other songs, including one that you may remember from the last episode, he decided to perform the Ballad of Ira Hayes, which, to refresh, is about a brave Native American World War II veteran who was mistreated upon his return to home in Arizona. And he's not just 
someone who served in the military, he was someone who was at a very, very pivotal moment that has has been photographed and cast in bronze at this point, which was the the flag at Iwo Jima. Yep. Like, he will forever be a part of that tableau. So he wasn't just like a guy that Johnny Cash picked out. He was someone who was a part of an iconic moment that raised tons of money for the war with bonds because that was the picture that they put out. They were presented to America as American heroes. It wasn't just a guy that he selected at random. This was someone who made an impact with the military service and who was abandoned by his country. Because he was Native American. Yeah. Like, okay. Also, I have got my red up right now. I mean, and just... I know. Calm down. Calm down. This one's going to... I know. This section... Yeah. There's a lot going on in this section. So, we, I get it. <laughs> Trust me. <laughs> I'm just trying to, trying to get through it myself as unbiased as possible, but it's hard. <laughs> so, the other two songs that he picked then were his own compositions a song called What is Truth? And we're going to play that in a minute, um, a little bit of that for you, because I feel that it's as relevant then as it is today. The song was a new song slash poem that he wrote, in essence, for his son, John Carter Cash, but also to the youth of America about what was going on at the time and kind of the call out for all this confusion and everything and, and the youth of America just wanting the truth. And what is that even? So very, very powerful song. The third song that he chose to sing was another song that he wrote called Man in Black, which I'll talk about after this. So Cash wrote that the reasons for denying Nixon's song choices were not knowing them and not having enough notice to learn and rehearse them rather than any political reason. However... Cash added, even if Nixon's office had given Cash enough time to learn and rehearse the songs, there are choices of pieces that conveyed anti-hippie and anti-black, that's quote, sentiments, might have backfired. In his remarks when introducing Cash, Nixon joked that one thing he had learned about the singer was one did not tell him what to sing. So right now we're going to step away and just play a clip of the song What is Truth because it was very charged and very honest. And when he introduced the song, he was actually incredibly respectful. The whole, uh, there's a good clip about it in that documentary that I've been mentioning that actually shows, you know, him explaining why he chose these songs and then shows a little bit of him singing it as well. So, you know, he's not being radical. He's being respectful, but also... He needs to speak his truth. So with that, we'll go ahead and play a little bit of that. The old man turned off the radio, said, where did all of the old songs go? Kids sure play funny music these days. They play it in the strangest way. Said it looks to me like they've all gone wild. It was peaceful back when I was a child. Well, man, could it be that the girls and boys are trying to be heard above your noise and the lonely voice of you cries, what is true? A little boy of three sitting on the floor 
looks up and says, Daddy, what is war? Son, that's when people fight and die. A little boy of three says, Daddy, why? Young man of 17 in Sunday school, being taught the golden rule. And by the time another year's gone around, it may be his turn to lay his life down. Can you blame the voice of you for asking what is true? The man with the book says, raise your hand. Repeat after me, I solemnly swear. The man looked down at his long hair. And although the young man solemnly swore, nobody seemed to hear anymore. And it didn't really matter if the truth was there. It was the cut of his clothes and the length of his hair. And the lonely voice of you cries, what is true? That's why I told you I definitely wanted to play a little bit of it in the episode because it's very powerful and very telling of the time. And, you know, I do. I think that it's relevant today that people our age and younger, they're just they're people are getting so angry right now at all. You know, very similar things to what has happened in the past. And I think I've I've said it before and it, it's been controversial, but this is my view. We just don't write songs like that today oh no like i does just they're out there but you have to dig for them they're not just in your face yeah i mean back then we had things like we had songs like that we had abraham martin and john we had fortunate son it's it we had these protest songs that were hitting the mainstream and it just seemed like people back then were less afraid of making someone angry through song than we are now. And I'm talking specifically about through music. It seems like we don't have that damn the man, fight the empire kind of mentality. Yeah, I mean, I there is that group that, you know, they're trying to be vocal, they're trying to be heard, and there is resistance, but it's just not as big maybe. Like, I don't know. Well, I think now we have, because we have social media, they have that place where they can vent their frustrations without having to put it on paper so you do have these celebrities that enough? there it's is it enough at this point honestly i, I without... think it's fleeting i think that the things on social media are fleeting i mean i'm trying i'm i'm not trying to be super political here but like things are not all that different between trump and nixon like except for you know and i'm sorry these are my own political opinions but it's just not that different than what we've already gone through in the past and fought forward for. So I'm sorry, but 
yeah, I mean, so again, he tried to be as respectful as possible. And even that song, there's a lot to it, but it's not even in your face. It's just very simple, but makes you listen and pay attention and kind of question and say, hey, wait, yeah, that is that does seem odd. You know, I like it. But. I think my favorite line and maybe I'm because it's the first time I've ever heard it. So maybe I'm skewing it. But he says like something about is the music louder because you're trying to drown out what they're saying. Yeah. Like and I like I, I that resonated with me mm-hmm. because it does seem like, well, if I just turn this noise up, then I can't hear what you're saying. Right. So he had this he just had this great knack for making you pay attention with a very simple song. John Carter Cash on this White House performance said, My father wasn't afraid to say what he thought, which was, I hope to bring peace, but I'm not afraid to get dirty, and I'm not afraid to fight for what I believe in, and I'm not afraid to go where I'm uncomfortable to stand up for love. I'm a dove with claws. And that the dove with claws thing is actually in the documentary when he was introducing this segment in this song, uh, Johnny was, and um, cause he had mentioned that he went to Vietnam and people were like, Oh, if you went there, then you're a hawk. And he said something about not necessarily a hawk, but I'm a dove. I just have claws now and something to that effect. And it was just really, I like that great. because it's almost like, well, we equate the dove as a symbol of peace. And so the idea that he is a peacemaker with the ability to have fight in him, that's almost a perfect metaphor. I am a dove with claws. I am someone who is peaceful with the ability to fight. Well, that's just it. I mean, Johnny Cash was a very sensitive person. He saw what was going on. And even though he didn't necessarily want to get in the fray, again, like I say, he just wanted to make a difference. He wanted to use what he could to make that difference and, and be heard and try to help or help make some progress. Although surprised by the change of songs, when it was all over, Nixon heaped praise on the entire group of performers. From a press reporting following the show in reference to the song What is Truth, the reporter stated, The closest cash came to a song with obvious political overtones was a theme not from the 30s, but from now. And the thrust of it seemed to surprise the president a bit. Johnny, on his performance, because there was an interview, again, with the reporter after he performed, he stated, We were playing for some very important people tonight. Of course, I tried to keep the performance honest. Good or bad, it was honest, I think. His intention was never to disrespect the office of the president, but he needed to get his point across. Two weeks later, Nixon announced the Cambodian incursion and moved troops to fight in the neutral country. Nixon had been secretly bombing this country without congressional approvals or the knowledge of the American people. This move galvanized those that believed we should be getting out of Vietnam, not expanding the war. The country saw more protests and a riot began at Kent State University on May 4th, 1970, which saw National Guard troops on the campuses, four dead and nine wounded. Fight it, fight it. <laughs> LD's head is going to explode with rage. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm just going to sit back now. Well, how do you think Johnny felt? He just played that performance. He was trying to affect 
some change. Instead of cursing that entire thing, I will suggest you go listen to a one-man show called Swimming to Cambodia. Instead of being angry now and yelling things, I'm just going to make suggestions for people to do stuff. So <laughs> uh, go go watch Swimming to Cambodia. It might be on Prime. But uh, yeah, um, just gonna, I'm going to bottle up my rage. I'm going to sit back in the chair. I'm going to let you talk. I'm going to let you finish. I'm going to let you finish. But Beyonce had one of the best videos of all time. This ain't about Beyonce. It's about Johnny Cash. Yeah, she'll be dead at some point. The Illuminati will kill her. <laughs> Illuminati! Wow, conspiracy theories now. We've, we've really <laughs> fallen from just a light, nice podcast about music. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, as, as angry as you are, can you imagine Johnny Cash went to this White House performance? He wrote songs for it. He put his heart out there and really without being disrespectful tried to make some change and he felt like he had kind of done that he was devastated and blindsided by the events following his performance and didn't like the idea of being used because now he realizes like they were just using me this whole time he took to his show to say a few words about the events stating about the protesting youth and the Kent State riot, quote, all they desire is to be listened to. They're only exercising their freedom of speech, and God help you if that's ever taken away from them, America. So that wasn't Tracy being a mushmouth like I usually am. That was a direct quote. Yes. And so the befuddled words were not hers. They were Johnny's. With everything going on around him, he started to take a bigger stand politically, following up with the quintessential anti-war anthem blowing in the wind on the Veterans Day episode. His sister, Joanne Cash, put it perfectly in saying, Johnny had a way to say something in a song to get his point across, and he did it well. So, again, I highly recommend you check out this documentary, the remastered series on Netflix, Tricky Dick and the Man in Black. Great episode. It's like an hour of your life, but it's really informative. And with that, I'm going to talk about that third song that Johnny sang called Man in Black. So the Man in Black, as he has been now dubbed, is a song that Johnny wrote. Early in his career, Cash was given the teasing nickname The Undertaker by fellow artists because of his habit of wearing black clothes. He said he chose them because they were easier to keep looking clean on long tours. But by the early 70s, he had crystallized his public image as the man in black. He regularly performed dressed all in black, wearing a long black knee-length coat. And this outfit stood in contrast to the costumes worn by most of the major country acts in this day, namely rhinestone suits and cowboy boots. Cash wrote the song Man in Black, which again, as I say, he, he played at the White House. I think that's where he debuted it. I'm not sure, but he wrote it to help explain his dress code. He released the song after his evening at the White House in response to the social and political climate surrounding those years. So basically, you know, having left the White House, Kent State, riots, Cambodia incursion, all of this, he decided to release the song publicly. 
as John Carter Cash stated, if you want to understand what my dad stood for, the words two men in black exemplify that. And so I'm going to read a couple lines from the song. We're doing mighty fine, I do suppose, in our streak of lightning cars and fancy clothes. But just so we're reminded of the ones who are held back, up front there ought to be a man in black. So to summarize the song as a whole in its entirety, he wore black on behalf of the poor and hungry, on behalf of the prisoner who has long paid for his crime, and on behalf of those who have been betrayed by age or drugs. And, Cash added, with the Vietnam War as painful in my mind as it was in most other Americans, I wore it, quote, in mourning for the lives that could have been. Apart from the Vietnam War being over, I don't see much reason to change my position. The old are still neglected, the poor are still poor, the young are still dying before their time, and we're not making any moves to make things right. There's still plenty of darkness to carry off. I Jensen him so much. Right? I have so much Jensen in my heart for him. Yeah. He and his band had initially worn black shirts because that was the only matching color they had among their various outfits. He wore other colors on stage early in his career, but he claimed to like wearing black both on and off stage. He stated that Political reasons aside, he simply liked black as his onstage color. And it's slimming. Yeah. Little fun fact, because I have a few of these peppered throughout that I just, little anecdotes were fun. The old U.S. Navy's winter blue uniform used to be referred to by the sailors as Johnny Cash's as the uniform shirt, tie, and trousers are solid black. (laughs) Isn't that cool? That is cool. (laughs) So it's just kind of a fun fact for you. In 1971, so now we're going to get a little lighter, just a, just a touch. We're going we're gonna to get a little lighter now. Or maybe LD will, her face will turn back to a normal shade of face instead of being the bright red of biting her tongue. <laughs> so much anger. Well, now we're going to talk about more fun stuff. That, that was the bulk of the angry, I think, in the episode. If okay, I, good. If I remember correctly, that was the bulk of the angry In 1971, Cash starred in the movie A Gunfight alongside actor Kirk Douglas. Both. (laughs) Maybe it's not the return of a happy LD. What's wrong with Kirk Douglas? So many sexual allegations. (laughs) Oh. I'm just going to sit back. I guess I didn't. Yeah, I guess I didn't think of that. Well, sorry. Okay, so almost happy time. I don't know. It's a movie. Both played aging gunslingers that sold tickets to a duel to make some money, but became friends along the way. Spoiler alert, Johnny wins. Returning to his prison performances, Cash played at the, and I'm sorry, it's Swedish, Cash played at the Osterocker Prison in Sweden in 1972. The album Pa Osterocker, which translates into at Osterocker, was released in 1973. San Quentin was recorded with Cash replacing San Quentin with Osterocker. In the mid-1970s, Cash's popularity and number of hit songs began to decline. He made commercials for Amico and STP, an unpopular enterprise at the time of the 1970s energy crisis, But then his life and career were full of unpopular moves. So, you know, what are you going to do? His friendship with Billy Graham 
led to Cash's 1973 production of a film about the life of Jesus called The Gospel Road, which Cash co-wrote and narrated. Cash viewed the film as a statement of his personal faith rather than a means of proselytizing, which I looked this up because it was a quote, like it was pulled from an article, so I didn't want to mess it up. But basically it means to induce someone to convert to one's faith. So he wasn't trying to convert anybody. He just did it for himself. And if you don't know who Billy Graham is, he was a prominent evangelical Christian leader at the time. And his son just bought up a bunch of land in my hometown. Well, there you go. Side note. On November 22nd, 1974, CBS ran his one-hour TV special entitled Riding the Rails, which is a musical history of trains. Which, another side note, fun fact, is that in 1976, he ended up making commercials for Lionel Trains, for which he also wrote the music. So would you would you say that his career was on track? I would. <laughs> Additional TV appearances included a 1974 episode of Columbo entitled Swan Song, if you're interested in looking it up and seeing the episode that Johnny Cash was in. And a 1976 appearance with June in Little House on the Prairie, which was called The Collection. So again, if you want to go try to find those episodes, that's what they're titled. So you can have it. So you're welcome. Despite the decline in his popularity at this time, his first autobiography, Man in Black, was published in 1975 and sold 1.3 million copies. That's a lot. He would write another autobiography in 1997 entitled Cash the Autobiography. In 1976, a further prison concert this time at Tennessee prison, was videotaped for TV broadcast and received a belated CD release after Cash's death titled A Concert Behind Prison Walls. Also in 1976, Johnny Cash was the Grand Marshal of the United States Bicentennial Parade. After the parade, he gave a concert at the Washington Monument. Fun fact, he wore a shirt from Nudie Cone, which is like a big thing in country music. Like he's the guy. The shirt sold after the concert for $25,000 in auction in 2010. Like the shirt that he wore at that? At the parade, yeah. The nudie cone shirt that he wore at the parade sold for $25,000 in 2010 at an auction. Then, after seven years clean, Cash began using amphetamines again in 1977. Cash and June appeared several times on the Billy Graham Crusade TV specials. And Cash continued to include gospel and religious songs on many of his albums, though Columbia declined to release A Believer Sings the Truth. The gospel double LP Cash recorded in 1979 ended up being released on an independent label, even with Cash still under contract with Columbia. In 1980, Cash became the Country Music Hall of Fame's youngest living inductee at age 48. But during the 80s, his records were not really making the major impact on the country charts that they once had. So that's a bummer, but he did continue to tour successfully. So now in the eighties, there was actually a movement in country music to make it more of a crossover appeal for pop listeners, right? Yeah. 
And so I could see how. So I'm gonna ment- I'm gonna touch on that in a little bit when we get there. It's that Nashville sound thing. So you can kind of see why he wouldn't be as as much of a seller at that point, specifically because there was a shift in the music changing. Yeah. In yeah. Despite his continued battles with sobriety, he continued to appear on television hosting Christmas specials on CBS in the late 70s and early 80s, appearing as a guest star in popular TV shows and even TV movies. In 1981, he starred in The Pride of Jesse Hollum, winning fine reviews for a film that called attention to adult illiteracy. In the same year, Cash appeared as a very special guest star on an episode of The Muppet Show. Yay. Everybody who was anybody was on The Muppet Show. Well, yeah, so it only made sense that he was there. I love The Muppet Show, by the way. So great. In 1983, he appeared as a heroic sheriff in Murder in Cowata County. Say that five times fast. Based on a real-life Georgia murder case, which co-starred Andy Griffith as his nemesis and featured June Carter in a small but important role. Cash had tried for years to make the film, for which he ultimately won a claim. Johnny relapsed into addiction after being administered painkillers for a serious abdominal injury in 1983 caused by an unusual incident in which he was kicked and wounded by an ostrich he kept on his farm. That sounds like how I would die. Probably. Like some random accident. Like, really? How'd she die? She was kicked by an ostrich. Yep. R.I.P. L.D. He became deeply addicted again and became a patient at the Betty Ford Clinic in Rancho Mirage for treatment. Cash's recording career and his general relationship with the Nashville establishment were at an all-time low in the 1980s. He realized that his record label of nearly 30 years, Columbia, was growing indifferent to him and was not properly marketing him. He was invisible at that time as he noted in his autobiography. Between 1981 and 1984, he recorded several sessions with famed countrypolitan producer Billy Sherrill, which were shelved. And this kind of speaks back to what you were saying, LD, about the Nashville sound and that change in what people were looking for musically. So countrypolitan is a term referring to a specific arm of the Nashville sound signified by lush string arrangements with real orchestras and often background vocals provided by a choir. So might be something for a short set. Is that a mashup of country and metropolitan? I think so. These recordings these recordings would later be released posthumously by Columbia's sister label Legacy Recordings in 2014 as Out Among the Stars, which I have that album. I didn't realize that that's where all these previously unreleased songs came from, but there you go. Around this time, Cash also recorded an album of gospel recordings that ended up being released by another label around the time of his departure from Columbia. But this is due to Columbia closing down its priority records division that was to have released the recordings. In 1984, Cash released a self-parody recording titled Chicken in Black, you know, reference back to Man in Black, produced by Billy Sherrill about Cash's brain being transplanted into a chicken and Cash receiving a bank robber's brain in return, which, for the love of everything, please go watch this music video if you can find it because it's ridiculous and just, oh my God. So he was on drugs at this point, right? (laughs) No, I think, so 
here's what they say about it. Biographer Robert Hilburn in the 2013 published Johnny Cash, The Life, which I'm so mad I didn't find this biography originally because it sounds like it would have been really useful and helpful in this uh, research. But, oh well, I think I did all right on my own. Biographer Hilburn disputes the claim made that Cash chose to record an intentionally poor song in protest of Columbia's treatment of him. On the contrary, Hilburn writes, it was Columbia that presented Cash with the song, which Cash, who had previously scored major chart hits with comedic material such as A Boy Named Sue and One Piece at a Time, accepted enthusiastically, performing the song live on stage and filming a comedic music video, which again, just go watch this, in which he dresses up in a superhero-like bank robber costume. And there is a chicken in this that, like, playing on a little Grand Ole Opry set. It's it's ridiculous. (laughs) It's so funny. (sighs) According to Hilburn, Cash's enthusiasm for the song waned after Waylon Jennings told Cash he looked like a buffoon in the music video, which was showcased during Cash's 1984 Christmas TV special. And Cash subsequently demanded that Columbia withdraw the music video from broadcast and recall the single from stores, interrupting its bona fide chart success, and termed the venture a fiasco. (laughs) Oh, it's so great. Okay. So we just took a short break. Because I had to have LD watch this and listen to this song. Because it's just so funny. I don't know what I just watched. (laughs) (laughs) Well, unfortunately... uh, that's kind of how Johnny's friends felt. And they're like, no, 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 no. This is no no bueno. <laughs> but it's brilliantly funny. <laughs> and so, a stark contrast to what you normally know from Johnny. So, uh, side note. When when I was growing up, I get a lot of humor. I have, I, I feel like I have a good sense of humor with a lot of things. And my father introduced me to... Ray Stevens, who is a national treasure, and we should put bubble wrap on and protect always, because I <laughs> certainly do not want to do a an episode on him anytime soon. But Ray Stevens is is humorous, and if you don't know his stuff, he he has done things that were serious, like everything is beautiful and misty, and uh, he did uh, a song for America after the 9-11 attacks. And so he does do serious music, but he's a satirist. And so you probably know him best from like Mississippi Squirrel Revival and The Streak and The Shriner Convention and It's Me Again, Margaret, and Help Me Make It Through the Night and very reminiscent of Ray Stevens as a humorist. And so I, I love it. I just, please go watch it. It's on YouTube. It's... Three minutes and three seconds. That just <laughs> that just made me so happy. <laughs> well, see, I told you I'd bring you back. I made you so angry at the top of the episode. I had to bring you back somehow. Well, you have a smiling LD now. <laughs> Yay! No gyrating stormtroopers required. <laughs> Maybe you should tell people why, because I'm pretty sure I cut that part out. <laughs> so... In an effort to get her smiley back, LD pulled up one of her favorite videos, apparently, that does the trick every time, which is just a stormtrooper. It's it's like a gif, 
It's just on repeat for, I don't know, like a minute and a half, two minutes or whatever. And all it's doing is like thrusting its pelvis forward, like it's in like, a dance for, it's it, like, that's it. I think if you just like go to YouTube and look up Stormtrooper thrusting, but it's to the ba ba da ba 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 and it's just i think it's rockapella yeah just it's it's doing that song it's so ridiculous but it always makes me laugh the second it started she bust out laughing because it's just so ridiculous so yeah no gyrating stormtroopers required just listen to chicken and black you know anyways so unfortunately even though it's out now for our little eyeballs this was something that cash basically after waylon jennings talked to him was like "Ooh, you know what looking at this differently yeah you're right let's pull that like get it off get it off the radio get it off the shelves get it off the tv i'm done with it he returned to television giving a performance as john brown in the 1985 american civil war miniseries north and south johnny and june also appeared on several episodes of Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman in recurring roles. How oh my fun is that? God, my grandmother used to love Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman and she used to think that Sully was she referred to him as quite the dish. He was quite the dish. I mean, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> my mom my mom and I would watch it. Like my mom would watch it and I would just kind of sit with her cuz I was a young and in the mid 80s he recorded and toured with Waylon Jennings, Willie Nelson, and Chris Christopherson as the band The Highwaymen, making three hit albums, which were released beginning with the originally titled Highwaymen, Highwayman, sorry, in 1985. The Highwaymen got together again and released Highwaymen 2 in 1990 and 1995. They released the final album, The Road Goes On Forever, concluding the project. If you want a great conversation between me, my brother, and my husband, let's just talk about who the sexiest supergroup is. Is it the Highwaymen or is it the Traveling Wolverines? Highwaymen. Traveling Wolverines. I will fight you. I will win. <laughs> <laughs> After more unsuccessful recordings were released in 1984 and 85, Cash left Columbia as a solo artist. He continued to record for Columbia on non-solo projects until as late as 1990, including a duet album with Waylon Jennings, plus the aforementioned Highwaymen were also under the Columbia label. In 1986, Cash returned to Sun Studios in Memphis to team up with Roy Orbison, Jerry Lee Lewis, and Carl Perkins to create the album Class of 55, According to Hilburn, which that was that Johnny Cash autobiography or Johnny Cash biography I mentioned earlier, Columbia still had Cash under contract at the time, so special arrangements had to be made to allow him to participate. Fun fact or side note, whatever. He also began recordings for Johnny Cash reads the complete New Testament, which released in 1990. Cash declared he was quote the biggest sinner of them all, and viewed himself overall as a complicated and contradictory man. Accordingly, Cash is said to have contained multitudes. That was a quote. I'm, I don't know what that means. I'm guessing sins. <laughs> and has been deemed the, quote, philosopher prince of American country music. Also in 1986, Cash published his only novel, 
Man in White, a book about Saul and his conversion to become the Apostle Paul. In the introduction, he writes about a reporter who, interested in Cash's religious beliefs, questions whether the book is written from a Baptist, Catholic, or Jewish perspective. Cash denies an answer to the book's view and his own and replies, I'm a Christian. Don't put me in another box. He then had a short and unsuccessful stint with Mercury Records from 1987 to 1991. During this time, he recorded an album of new versions of some of his best-known Sun and Columbia hits, as well as Water from the Wells of Home, a duets album that paired him with, among others, his children Roseanne Cash and John Carter Cash, as well as Paul McCartney. A one-off Christmas album recorded for Delta Records followed his Mercury contract. At a hospital visit in 1988, this time to watch over Waylon Jennings, who was recovering from a heart attack, Jennings suggested that Cash have himself checked into the hospital for his own heart condition. Doctors recommended preventative heart surgery and Cash underwent double bypass in the same hospital. Both recovered, although Cash refused any prescription painkillers, fearing a relapse into dependency. Cash later claimed that during his operation, he had what is called a near-death experience. So despite denying the painkillers that were offered post-surgery, by 1989, he was dependent again and entered Nashville Cumberland's, Nashville's Cumberland Heights Alcohol and Drug Treatment Center. At, side note... <laughs> At a notable performance in Arkansas in 1989, Johnny Cash spoke to attendees of his commitment to the salvation of drug dealers and alcoholics. He then sang the song Family Bible. So we have a little bit of a two-sided coin here of like one side. He's trying to be this stand-up, God-fearing Christian family man and uphold these morals that he has. On the other side, he's still struggling with his dependency on drugs and alcohol. So a little, little tough, a lot of conflict there for Johnny emotionally and internally, you know, with everything that's going on. So with that, I know we said originally that this was going to be just a two-part episode, but <laughs> since this episode was so charged and we really don't want to cut a lot of it out like we just we don't want to cut a lot of it out so we made a snap decision that we're gonna go to part three next week and I'm fine with that yeah we had a lot of fun we've been having a lot of fun talking about these stories and it just made sense for us to be able to keep a lot of that in rather than trying to keep it to two parts so we'll see you again for the wrap-up of Johnny Cash next week and his journey into the 90s and, and that's, beyond. That's when I'll tell you my Trent Reznor story. Yeah. Because <laughs> you know what song is coming up in the next episode. And I'm so excited. <laughs> so thank you so much for tuning in to part two of Johnny Cash. Check us out next week for part three, the wrap up of Johnny Cash's life. And I promise that's the last that's the last one. <laughs> We're not going to part four. <laughs> we promise. We promise. So if you guys like the show, there's a couple ways that you can support us. Either you can head over to wherever you check out podcasts. We just got the approval to be on iHeartRadio, so we're really excited about yep. that. We're on there now. And so you can catch us at Stitcher, SoundCloud, Spotify, the 
Apple Play Store, and now iHeartRadio. So you can find us in a ton of different places. So we're really thankful. So if you could just do us a favor and leave a rating and review, it makes a difference. It helps us and it helps the show out because with your feedback, we know how we can make the show better. And the other way is by donating to our Patreon. You can do that at patreon.com backslash rockandrollheaven. You can find us on Twitter at rockandrolllt. You can find our Facebook page at Rock and Roll Heaven Pod. Our Instagram is Rock and Roll Heaven LT. I'm still not saying our website. And you can email us at Rock and Roll Heaven LT at gmail.com. And like Tracy likes to say it every episode, it's actually us that's interacting with you guys now. So we love interacting with you folks on all of our different social platforms. So check us out there. We like posting pictures, we like posting uh, different concerts and stuff like that. So go check it out. And uh, other than that, You guys, keep rocking in the free world. I hope you had a safe fourth. We'll see you next week. Hey, Tracy. Yeah. Drive me home. (laughs) I don't know what you want me to say to that. (laughs) Drive you home. You you are home, crazy. Oh, yeah. (laughs) All right. See you guys next week. Bye. Two long years, my head hurt bad, so the doctor checked me and he shook his head. He said, I'm sorry to tell you, but your body's outlived your brain. He said, I know this doctor in New York, son, and he'll fix you right up with a brand new one. So the head doctor met me when I stepped down off of the train. He said, we had this bank robber killed last night. His body shot, but his brain's all right. I'll give you a transplant, boy, and you'll be okay. I got my new brain in and I was feeling great. I went right back to Nashville with no headache, but something strange happened when I walked in the bank one day. I said, stick them up, everybody, I'm robbing this place. Drop all of your money in my guitar case. Don't nobody move and don't nobody reach for that door. A lady said, why, you're Johnny Cash. I said, no, ma'am, I'm the Manhattan Flash, and I am the best bank robber in New York. Now, the other night, Roy Acuff called me. He said, John, I'd like for you to do the opera. So I went out on the stage, but I couldn't sing. I got into half a verse if I walked the line, and something snapped in this head of mine. I yelled, stick them up. Give me your money, your watches, and ring. Well, I called New York and talked to that brain quack. I said, Doc, I've got to have my whole brain back. He said, I'm sorry there, Mr. Cash, but I can't do that. He said, I put your brain in a chicken last Monday. He's singing your songs and making lots of money. And I got him signed to a 10-year recording contract. Now, friends, if you see me walking down the street, remember what you see ain't necessarily me. And if I try to hold you up, don't pay me no mind. But when you got ten bucks that you can blow, you ought to catch that Johnny Chicken show. He's doing fairs and concert dates all up and down the line. I said, stick them up, everybody, I'm robbing this place. Drop all of your money in my guitar case. Don't nobody move and don't nobody reach for that door. A lady said, why, you're Johnny Cash. I said, no, ma'am, I'm the Manhattan Flash, and I am the best bank robber in New York. 
tax. You don't pay tax on money you steal. You ought to catch that Johnny Chicken show. Chicken in black. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points. 